saw some of these majestic stones that were actually on the ground. They were on the ground. And so he said, none of these stones are going to be left upon another. Verse 3 of Matthew 24, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name saying, uh, I am Christ and shall deceive many, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers or different places. And then he summed up that litany by saying, All these are the beginning of sorrows. So they're sitting at, this, at the temple complex and they're looking at all these majestic things that have been constructed there. And Jesus looks at them and he said, all this is going to be overthrown. It happened about 70 years or so after he made that statement. It actually happened. Jerusalem was overthrown. The temple was destroyed. All of those stones were upended and just cast off of each other. And so then privately then the disciples began to ask him, what's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus' first statement to them was, don't be deceived. Take heed that no man deceive you. There's going to be people coming in my name. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Nations going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of of sorrows. Now, there's some things that have already been fulfilled. There's some things in the process of being fulfilled, and there's some things that are yet to be fulfilled as you begin to read in Matthew chapter 24. But he gave us some things to look at, and he said, All these are the beginning of sorrows. Or in other words, it's like a lady having a baby, she's going into labor. And when the pain starts, you understand that it's going to get even more intense. It's going to get, uh, it's going to last a little bit longer. This is just the starting of it. And then he begins to give a list as you read on down through Matthew 24. He looks at them. He says, this is what you need to understand. You're going to be hated. You will be hated. You will be hated. Hate will be prevalent. Betrayal is going to be prevalent. Iniquity is going to abound. And because iniquity is going to abound, <clears throat> a lot of people are going to start. Uh, he, he said the love of many is going to wax cold. So iniquity is going to abound and love will wane. He said you keep enduring. You keep preaching. You keep living your life of faith. And you keep preaching the gospel. He goes on to say, you be safe when it's possible. You know that tribulation is going to be great. Don't be deceived. Don't fall for false reports about Christ. And here's the key. Jesus is going to return. He will return. The question is, when will Jesus return? Well, the time is unclear, but the fact is certain. 
So that's established. We know that he's going to return. We know there are some things we've got to keep right here in present in front of us. We understand those things. We know we don't know the time. That's unclear. But we do know that his return is certain. But I want you to notice this because Jesus goes from warnings to teaching. He goes from giving warnings about things that you be prepared for and you be looking for to teaching. And so I, I, I'm sorry if this is a, repet, or a repetition of some of the stuff I talked about last week, but we got to build on this. So here's what he, he gives us teaching for. He says, do this. You trust the word. How many of you in the bottom of your heart, in the very core of your being, you believe the word of God? I'm not talking about just giving an affirmation to it here in the building. While you're in the church, while you're in the building, while you're around everybody else on the same page with you. I'm not talking about just affirming it now. I'm talking about in the core of your being. You believe the word of God. Because, honey, if you don't trust the word of God, you're not going to be, be very stable when things really do start getting chaotic. Trust the word. Jesus said it in Matthew 24, 42, he sa- or, or uh, 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And then the second thing is you be watchful. Be watchful. Help me preach. Turn to your neighbor and say, be watchful. Turn back to them and say, how can you be watchful if you can't even stay awake? <laughs> Caught y'all. Be watchful. Matthew 24, 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. And he used this in connection with the faithful servant. And he tells us in Matthew 25, 13, he gives that same expression again. He says, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And he gives that in connection with the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. He tells us or he teaches us to be resourceful. And by that, I, I, I use that to label the story in Matthew 25, where he gives his talents to his servants, and he goes off to a far country, tells this story. In Matthew 25, 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to every man according to his several ability. And straightway he took his journey. He did not tell them what to do with his talents. He just gave it to them and he trusted. You know why he trusted them with it? Are y'all with me? He trusted them with his talents because they were his servants. They were connected to him. They had worked with him. They had been in, in tandem with him. And so he expected them to continue his business. That's why the Word of God doesn't tell us that he told them exactly what to do. He didn't say, here, Brandon, I'm giving you five talents. What I need you to do is I need you to go down to the restaurant supply store, and I need you to get a coffee maker and a grinder, and I need you to get a shipment of coffee beans, and I need you to start a coffee shop. 
He didn't give detailed descriptions. He didn't give Nick. He didn't say, Pastor Nick, here's you two talents. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to get a, a Ford Raptor pickup. And I need you to fill it with tools. And I need you to drive around and start building decks. He didn't do that. Because what he did is he gave them his stuff and he said, okay, I'm leaving this with you. And they knew his business. They knew his business. And so they went to work and they were resourceful with what he left in their hands. How in the world, how in the world are we going to be able to answer before our Lord and Savior on the day he returns knowing that he expected us to be about his father's business and we did not even understand the business plan. I think he gave to us what his business is all about. And then he leaves his stuff with us. Then he tells us in Matthew 25 later on about, and I labeled it this way, be mindful. In Matthew 25, 31, the Son of Man, when he comes, he's coming in his glory and all the holy angels with him. He's going to sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from his goats. And he's going to set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And y'all know the rest of the story. I'm not going to belabor it, but it's the story where he's going to say, When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, sick and in prison, you visited me. They're going to look at him and say, Lord, when did we see you in that condition? And he's going to look back at them and say, it wasn't me. But inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Come on in to the joy of the Lord. And he's going to look and he's going to tell those on his left hand, you didn't visit me. You didn't take care of me. Lord, if we'd have known it as you, we would have. He said, inasmuch as you ignored the least of these, my brethren, you ignored me. And ultimately, it sums up in Matthew 25, 46. And these shall go away unto everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So how does this connect? It connects in the fact that, okay, this is what the end is going to look like. And when everything really, you think things are rough, honey, keep in mind you just went into labor. It just got started. This is the beginning of sorrows. So let me just drop this bombshell to you as positively as I can. 2020 was just a warm-up. It's just a warm-up. Because the reality of it is, the closer we get to the return of the Lord. I didn't read all the scripture, but he started naming things, and he started giving a list. So the whole point is not for us to get, oh, my Lord, I might as well just go ahead and die right here, right now. The whole point is not about that. The whole point is realizing the big story, the big picture of it, and this is what he said. You keep trusting the word of God. You be watchful, you be resourceful, you be mindful, you be faithful. You just continue in what you know you're supposed to be doing. The circumstances of your life have never been supposed to dictate how you are. Your life is never 
governed by the circumstances of your life. Our life as a child of God have always been and will always be governed by the word of God. But the conditions of the time should compel us to evaluate the condition of our life. We should be asking ourselves, are we watchful? Are we resourceful? Are we mindful? Are we faithful? The labor pains. That's what Matthew 24, 8 was. This is the beginning of sorrows or this is the starting of labor. The labor pains are going to bring about our eternal reward. The birth of something better doesn't come without groans and labor of the birth pains. Birth pains, that's the pain of childbirth. And we've got to understand, it increases in frequency and intensity as the birth approaches. But when the baby gets here. Do you know Ezekiel was born uh, Monday? He got here, big old boy. He finally made it. And that, uh, that's the, the newest baby in our church. I haven't met him yet. I'm excited to meet him. But we understand that. We understand the concept of giving birth. So on the other side of these birth pains is the reward that God's got, the eternal life. So here's what I want us to look at. Our present is temporary. Look at your neighbor and say, this is temporary. But the thing about it is, is the present This temporary present is the gateway to the permanent. And here's what we've got to always keep in our minds is that the present can actually sabotage everything. Life now can interfere with life to come. The main thing that's in the, in the way of us having the life that God wants us to have is our current life. I've talked about this before. You know, one of the things that keeps people from going on into abundant life in the Lord is their satisfaction with right now. Or they're being stuck in right now. The main opponent of eternal life is temporary life. The main opponent of What God's got in store for us for eternity is what we're in even right here, right now. I want to revisit this scripture, going back to Matthew 19, 28. Matthew 19, 28, and Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration. We looked at this briefly last week. Jesus said, Ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's talking to his disciples at that particular moment. The expression, though, ye which have followed me in the regeneration. That's what I want us to focus on just for a moment. The word regeneration there just simply means a renewal or rebirth. The word regeneration in this verse is only used two times in the New Testament. It's used here and it's used in Titus chapter 3. I want to read this. In Titus 3, Paul says, For we ourselves also were sometimes disobedient or foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. 
But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Regeneration in that passage of scripture in Titus chapter 2 or Titus, Titus chapter 3 verse 5. He's just simply talking about the work of God in our life and by the work of the Holy Ghost in our life, that old life is done away with. And we've entered into life in the Spirit. When he talks there in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28 about ye which have followed me in regeneration, he's talking about we've entered into eternal life with him. That there will be a time when the old will be done away with. The old, that's this right now, will be done away with. How do you say that? Well, this is what John saw in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. John said, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were were passed away. Do y'all believe this? Do y'all even believe what I'm saying? Do y'all believe that there will come a day that all this is going to be done away with? I mean, if you don't believe it, we're in trouble. I believe it. And John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. Jesus made that statement in Matthew 19, 28. Verily I say unto you that he which hath followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. This is what's on the other side of where we are right now. So you got to keep in mind that if this And this stuff that we've gone through and we're going to go through and the disciples went through and and, and, and facing us as we get closer to the coming of the Lord. If this is the beginning of the sorrow, you've got to understand if he's talking about that being the labor pain, it's giving birth to something greater. And this is what's greater, the regeneration, the new heaven, the new earth. Are you all with me? So the context of this passage of Scripture in Matthew 19, 28 was that story. Of that rich young ruler that came to him in Matthew 19, 16. Behold, 
One came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. And if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And so the rich young ruler said to him, Well, which? And Jesus said, Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father, your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said unto him, I've done all of these things since I was a kid. What else do I lack? And Jesus said, if you will be perfect, go and sell what you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the young man went away. When he heard that, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. You know what that tells us? He asked Jesus about eternal life. Jesus said, okay, you want eternal life? This is what you do. So that sums up what I've been telling you all, that this life stood in the way of eternal life. He chose this life over eternal life. What did it require? It did not require him adding another thing to the list that he already had. He already had a good list of righteous actions. And Jesus did not give him another thing to add to his list after he said, I've been keeping the word of God from my youth up. But what Jesus did do was give him a whole new start point. And the whole new starting point was to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Leave all so that you can embrace all. Do you know it's possible that I can stand behind this pulpit and fail at leaving everything behind and following the Lord? And you know it's possible that we can sit on these chairs in this new building and still be holding on tightly to things in this life. And Jesus is saying, I'm not adding another thing to your to-do list. I'm just telling you. This is a brand new start point for you. Leave all and embrace all. You want eternal life? Leave all and embrace every bit of it. The reality is this, y'all. And we'll start tying this together. Ten, these next ten minutes, listen close. The reality is now is fighting against then. The reality is that temporary is at war with permanent. The reality is, is that mortal is in combat with eternal. The reality is his flesh is in opposition to spirit. The reality is is this life is in struggle with life everlasting. And we're caught right here in the middle of it and we make up our mind that says I'm not going to miss the greater. The glory. Poke your neighbor and say the glory. Paul said in Romans 8, 18, he said, for I reckon, I love, every time I read Romans 8, 18, I love the way it's worded because it just makes me feel like somebody southern wrote the Bible. For I reckon, y'all understand that? 
For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I reckon that the sufferings of right now are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now if you were to go on and read that, you know what you'd find? You would find that he goes on to to talk about the groaning and the travail in pain. The travail, the term as, as it would be connected to uh, that birth pains, the groaning and the travail in pain. And the reason he's saying that is because we know that something is coming. The moment is the labor pain. But past these things is the greater, that greater glory. But even in this, in Romans chapter 8, there was a lesson leading up to this. And look at it. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I want you to notice closely. Some of your Bible students, and you understand that this follows along in the heels of what Paul said in Romans chapter 7 about the law. And Paul is connecting this with the law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. And I want you all to hear this closely. Doing right by being a rules follower and trusting in your goodness to accomplish that is depending on the flesh. On the other hand, y'all listen close. Because a lot of y'all are saying, oh, I'm not that. I'm not overly religious. I am not a Pharisee. I am not that person. But you know this, that doing wrong and justifying it is glorifying flesh. You know, continuing... To do something and bragging about it, that's just the way I am. I don't mean to be snarky, but when did you get born again? Because if you got born again and the Spirit of God began to do a work in your life, if there's some things that you did prior to getting born again and you're justifying it now by saying that's just the way I am, I would question your new birth experience. Because when we begin to walk in the Spirit, we quit fulfilling the, 
the desires of the flesh. And when we begin living in the light, we quit fellowship and with darkness. And when we come out of that darkness, we begin to walk in his light. And he begins to teach us and guide us and lead us in the way that he would have us to go. So the bottom line is whether you're religious or whether you're just ornery. If you're trusting in your flesh, your flesh cannot please God. That's the bottom line. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So what Paul is telling us is the flesh-controlled mind leads to death. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, control your minds leads to life and peace. And he goes on to talk about how that we as a child of God that is led by the Spirit of God God's work in our life begins to be seen, begins to be manifest. And we've walked away from this carnal control and we're under the control of the Spirit. And what a blessed life that that is. The third thing, and this is my final point. There's a scripture I want to direct your attention to as we start tying this together. When Paul is writing to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he uses this expression that we might be made. That we might be made. There are two things that we've always got to protect in our lives. Two things. Two things you've got to make sure you protect. Y'all ready? We'll give them to you. And if some of us guys would feel so protective over these two things as we are our own home. If we'd spend as much time in the Word of God as we do studying firearms. If we'd be as detailed about our relationship with God as we are about our home security systems. If we'd be as detailed about certain things in our life, we'd be a whole lot better off. These two things is what you've always got to protect in your life. Number one, that is the truth. The Word of God. And number two is the Spirit. The Spirit of God. Because we're taught by these two things. We're guided by these two things. John 16, Jesus talked about when the Spirit would come into our lives. That the Spirit's going to lead and guide us in all truth. And so it is the Spirit of God and it is the truth or the Word of God. We are taught by the Spirit and by the Word. The Word of God is our light. The Spirit of God is what turns on the light. The light is of no good. It's like having a flashlight and standing in the dark and saying, I've got a flashlight, I've got a flashlight, I've got a flashlight. Well, turn it on. The Word of God is our light. The Spirit of God is what turns on our light. And you can't just read the Word of God and expect to get something out of it. You've got to allow the Spirit of God to begin to illuminate His Word to you. We're taught by them. And I'm summing this up. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I think every 
professing Christian knows 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he, this sums it up, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We receive salvation. We receive that undeserved grace of God. We receive it, not because we deserve it, but because of the grace of God. Everybody say, I receive salvation. And so then in connection to that, we cannot resist sanctification. We receive salvation. We cannot resist sanctification. Sanctification is that ongoing work of being made in the likeness of God. He was made sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. So then if we receive salvation, that's grace by grace, we cannot resist sanctification. That's the ongoing work of being made separate and being made into his likeness. Then you've got to go on from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You've got to go on to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul goes to, stays right here in the same thought, and he writes to us, and he says, We then as workers together with him beseech you, that you receive not the grace of God in vain. The work of God that comes into your life. The work of God that's in my life. You know what he's doing? I've just about talked y'all to sleep. What he is doing. Is he's helping us. To become. More like him. More trusting in his spirit more enabled by his spirit, and less flesh-driven. Because he knew that this carnal nature, this man, this flesh that we're living in, is always going to be bucking up against the work of God. How many of you, when you got baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, the very next week, the very next week, You were just so full of the Spirit and so powerful that, man, you, you just went for days without even eating. And you saw pretty girls walk by and it didn't even phase you. And somebody cussed you on the job and it just rolled off you. Your wife said something kind of sideways to you and you just grinned and walked on. Now, I guarantee you, when you come up out of that baptistry, you left that old man behind, and you were filled with the Spirit of God. It didn't take two or three days. It's probably just a few hours after that that you were reminded somehow or another that you were still a human. 
Because there's an ongoing work in this process that we would be made more and more like him. And so what, I, what I'm trying, I've been trying to tell you is you can't do this through your own flesh efforts. You've got to have the power of the Spirit of God. That's why the law didn't, didn't bring it to completion. Nor can you continue to justify the way you are. You've got to allow the work of the Spirit of God to be done in your life and quit resisting it. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that brought salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that is developing you. We're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I want to leave you all with this. I don't know how it is with you all. You all with me? The root cause of all my problems is not because the kids are still living at home. The root cause of all my problems is not because we have four four-legged creatures in our house. The root cause of all my problems is not because of my wife. The root cause of all my problems is not even because of our political system. The root cause of all my problems is carnality. And until we begin to face that truth, we're going to still keep living in some kind of little Pollyanna kind of bubble. The root cause of all of our problems, it's not your neighbor. I mean, you can build a high fence over here on this side. And then the thing back move next door. can't fence yourself off from all your problems. Romans chapter 8 verse 6, A.W. Tozer kind of summed it up like this. He's talking about carnally minded. Look at it this way. Carnally minded is the sum of our dominant desires. The intellect plus the emotional tug that's strong enough to determine action. Some of our dominant desires. If we start being more sensitive to the Spirit, some of us are going to find out we come to church and sit here in the presence of God in our carnal. And so we, begin to, we need to begin to pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, sanctify my desires. The dominant thought of this age, the dominant thought of this 21st century has been and continues to be embrace your carnality. Embrace it. That's who you are. Be who you are. Embrace your carnality. That flesh, that human nature, those human desires, those human passions... The dominant mindset, the dominant thought of today is justify it, pacify it, even magnify 
your carnality. And you can't do that and expect the word of God to begin to blossom and to become that powerful force that God's intended for it to be in your life. I told you I was going to leave you with that. I'm going to leave you with this. When Jesus died, what happened? The veil. When Jesus gave up the ghost, he died. When he died, the veil in the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. The veil has been called the flesh. That veil stood in the way of the glory of God in that most holy place. When Jesus died, when his flesh with which he took our sins to the cross, the weight of our sins, when his flesh died and the veil in the temple was written twain from top to bottom, he gave us access into that glorious holy of holies. So why don't you just look at it from this standpoint that when the veil is gone, the glory is revealed. And what is hindering what God wants to do in our life is this flesh that stands in the way of the completion that God has for you and me. Let's stand together. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And the carnal mind is not going to be able to grasp the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you ought to read that when you get home. Before you go to bed, read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Because the Word of God talks to us about that, about how the things that God has for us is seen and realized through His Spirit. But let me just leave this with you all as pastor. We're going we're gonna to be gone for a few days. Bonnie and I are go, and the kids are going on a family vacation, so I won't be teaching you this coming weekend. You're going to hear some good preaching. Um, and then next Wednesday night is going to be the uh, Christmas thing. So let me just leave this with you. We deal with carnally-minded people all the time. All around us are the carnally-minded people, the flesh-motivated people. This came out of our Bible study, Greg and Sister Gail, this morning from our Bible class. We deal with carnally-minded people. We can't expect carnally-minded people to be spiritual. So we might as well not even try to. Don't even try to force them into your way of thinking. Because the spiritual things of God cannot be grasped by the carnal mind. But here's where we come in. Don't expect them to look at things spiritually just because you do. And on the other hand, don't allow the carnal minds of others to change you. You can't change them, but you... You cannot or you should not allow them to change you. Be filled with the Holy Ghost and let the Spirit of God be the guiding force of your life. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for your people.
I thank you for your presence. I thank you for this opportunity to study your word and to be here in the house of God. And I pray today, Lord, that you would just be exalted in our life. I pray that your word, your spirit would be the guiding force of our life. Help us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. I believe you and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. God bless you. I love all of you. Be blessed in Jesus.